on the floor. Now my jewelry box froze. Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove. Counted millions in the cold. Bad bitch, booted swole. Got her on bankroll. Can't fold, that's a no. Headshot, case closed. What is up, guys? It's Andy Priscilla, and this is the show for the realists. Say goodbye to the lies, the fakeness, and delusions of modern society. And welcome to motherfucking reality, guys. Today, we have a full-length podcast. I'm going to get into the uh, amazing guests that we have in just a second. If this is your first time listening, we have shows within the show. Today, you're going to hear a full-length show. Uh, but other times you tune in, we have Q&AF. That is where you get to submit questions, and I answer them. There's a couple ways that you could submit questions. The first way is... Guys, you can email those questions in to askandy at andyforseller.com. Or, now that we're on YouTube, you guys can go watch the, C- or the uh, Q&AF YouTube, drop the question in the comments, and we'll pull some out of there. Other times when you tune in, we have CTI. That's Cruise the Internet. That's where we throw up headlines on the screen. We talk about what's true, what, what's probably not true. We speculate on what's going on. And then we talk about how we can all be uh, part of the solution by bettering ourselves as individuals. Then sometimes we have real talk. Real talk is just five to 20 minutes of me giving you guys some real talk. And then we have full length, which is what you guys are going to get today. That's where we have interesting people come join us and we have a conversation about them and what's going on in the world and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, now, for all of that, we do have a fee. We say pay the fee. What that means is share the show, all right? Uh, if we bring value, if it makes you think, if it makes you laugh, if it changes your perspective, if you learn something, if you learn some skills that are going to help you with your life, your business, uh, or anything else, all we ask very simply is that you, pay, that you share the show, all right? We don't run ads on the show. You're going to notice that. I don't have 30 minutes allocated for advertisements of shit that I don't use, um, and in exchange for not filling your head with a bunch of bullshit, just value exchange, man. If we do good, please share it. That's real simple. So with that being said, we do have an amazing full-length episode for you guys today with uh, a good buddy of mine, Mr. Dean Stott. What's up, bro? Hey, how are you? Thanks good. for having me. How are you, brother? Yeah, good. Yeah, I know it's been some time before we met. I actually got our diaries to align. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, we've, we've had a show on the books uh, another time we had to reschedule and we're trying to get this done for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So how's everything? How was the trip in? Yeah, trip in was good. Yeah, now currently in, in Orange County yeah. in, in California. Yeah, moved there two years ago with my wife and uh, two kids at the time. Now have three kids. Yeah, congrats. Um, so we, we just took advantage of the COVID situation. It was Me and my wife were very busy uh, with life and we sort of blinked. We always wanted to move to America. Uh, blinked, turned our head and we had a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. And so... While the world was paused, we thought we'd take advantage of this situation and, um, you know, take the leap. Otherwise, 10 years would pass and we'd probably be kicking ourselves if we didn't. So um, couldn't actually get into America uh, straight away. So we had to go to Mexico for 14 days and um, bounced in from there. But uh, So you come across the border? Came across the border, yeah. Yeah, yeah legally. Swam across the river? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, There's cool. a couple of tunnels. No, right. was, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we, you know, we didn't know where we were going to. We looked at LA and then my wife was on Zillow. Um, the school ratings were pushing us further south in Orange County. And we just, yeah, we, we flew in and the embassies were all shut at the time. So your normal process of moving to the US would be get your visas uh, and everything uh, sorted first and then come in. But we did it the reverse. So yeah. We're there now. Everything's working out though. Everything's working out now. Green cards through, and yeah, we um, yeah, you've got no regrets at all. It's probably the best decision. And unfortunately, COVID wasn't great for many people, but for us as a family, it was a, it was a great move. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, welcome to America, brother. Yeah, Happy you. to have you. <laughs> uh, need more like you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Bro, you lived uh, a very incredible life and you've done a lot of incredible things. Just break down some of the things that, you know, have gotten you to this point. Because I know we want to talk about some other things, but yeah. there's so much there. It could be a seven hour podcast. I mean, dude, special forces, uh, you know, executive protection. Yeah, I executive mean. protection. You wrote the, the bike ride, everything. Mm. So, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, quick summary. Yeah. So, um, I, I joined the UK military. My father's in the military. Uh, my grandparents in the military. Um, I actually, uh, as a young boy, always wanted to be a fireman. Uh, never had any aspirations of actually joining the military myself. Um, but uh, I decided to cut college early and go surfing for a couple of weeks, which then extended into six months, uh, long before the mobile phones. And my father then found me working in a surf shop. And he told me how I'd ruined my life at the age of 17 and what was I going to do. So to sort of silence him, I told him I'd join the military. And you know, he told me I'd last two minutes. It wasn't the warm, comforting words of motivation I expected. But for me, I was like, you know, and I've come across this same scenario many times in my life. There'll be those naysayers that tell you you can't do it. And there's no point in arguing with that person because if they believe what they believe and you believe what you believe, you're just going to you're not going to come to a conclusion. So the only conclusion is that to go away and prove that person wrong and then come back to the table. And so that's what I did. I joined the military at the age of 17. I was, I weighed, um, you guys work in pounds. I, uh, so I was probably about 140 pounds and five foot seven. So I could see where my, my father was coming from. But in a short period of time, I, I, I sort of grew physically and mentally, uh, got to 200 pounds within 18 months and, uh, was one of the youngest, airborne commando divers within the military. Uh, so for me, my life, I never looked um, as a career in the military and then ended up joining the UK Special Forces. So I joined this special boat service, but coming from the army to the, to the Navy was like one of your guys, your Delta Force guys saying, well, actually, I'm going to go SEAL Team 6. So that's what the special boat service is like the equivalent? That's the equivalent, Got yeah. The tier, one, the tier 1 Special Forces in UK is the special air service for the Army and the special boat service for the, for the Navy. And then here you have Delta Force and SEAL Team 6. Okay. But unlike uh, here in the US where Delta and um, DevGrew have their own selection, ours is actually joint. So not one is harder or easier than the other. Yeah. But you need to be the gray, they tell you to be the gray man on the course, uh, you know, try and blend in, don't stand out for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. I, on a six month course, I was the gray man for two minutes. They literally <laughs> called my name out and were like, well, why are you going to the SPS? I was a senior dive instructor for the army and I'd spent eight years with Commando Recce Force. So for me and my love for the water as well, surfing, the SPS was that natural pull to me. So yeah, I wasn't the gray man for long, but Six months later, you know, we start with 208 pass um, and I was one of the, the final guys. But what was great for me wasn't me passing is now looking back at the unit, 15% of the special boat service now come from the army. So you sort of open up that pathway for others to, to follow. Um, I joined at a height of time on the war in Terry. It was the busiest time in uh, UK special forces and US special forces history. We had Afghanistan, we had Iraq. I was rescuing hostages off Somalia and I was diving on cartel boats in Colombia. I was ticking a lot of boxes in a short period of time. And so for me, I never looked beyond the militia. I'd reached my pinnacle in, in my career. I was now working with like-minded individuals, guys that had that same drive, that same passion, um, that mission success. But unfortunately, uh, I took a tragic turn after 16 years. I had a parachuting accident and uh, that shortened my career. My leg got caught up in a, it was actually on exit the aircraft, my leg got caught in the line. 
and pulled. And so I tore my ACL, um, my lateral meniscus, my MCL, my hamstring, my calf, and my quadriceps, all the supporting muscles as well. And so Holy I saw, shit, yeah, that's it, an injury. It's an injury. I landed one legged. It was a great landing, but um, <laughs> you know, other than that, you know, I was sort of then told, you know, no, thank you for your service. It's time to leave. So it's a bit like a, a professional. There's a lot of comparisons between special forces and professional athletes. It's like, you know, someone going watching the rest of the team go off on a tour, and then you've got to yeah, go to physio. You lose you know, a big part of your identity. Exactly. Yeah, and they, those guys went to Afghanistan, and I was actually left the military. And as you rightly touched on. I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, I got to where I had in the military because of my physical attributes. I now couldn't even run 100 meters. I had an identity crisis, you know, mm-hmm. knew what I was doing for the next two years. Um, it, you know, literally next two years is, is planned out. Um, knew my role, knew my purpose. And it's not how, what is my role now within society? How am I now going to fit in to what for me was an alien community? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know much about the military, but thankfully for me, my wife was very entrepreneurial and she sort of picked up those, those worries that I had. And as you know, DJ, you know, um, well, people with our skill set, without sounding like Liam Neeson, our natural progression is the security industry. Mm-hmm. Um, what's great now in the special forces, they have transition programs. So a lot of guys and girls may not want to do that. And there, there's other options, but I didn't have that time. I literally was told you've got to go. So all my friends were doing security um, of Somalia, maritime security was at its height. Uh, but I, I wanted to find a niche within the industry. I wanted to stand out. I wanted something that A, I would be comfortable doing. And fortunately for me, uh, the Arab Spring was now kicking off in May 2011. And my first job within 48 hours to help set up the, the British Embassy in Benghazi. And when I was there, I soon saw these, I, I never name and shame them, but I call them the big five, these big huge security companies and they were winning these great big um, contracts with some of the oil and gas and the NGOs um, just purely on their, their company name. Everyone assumed because they're the biggest, they're probably the best, which over time in industry isn't the case, but they were charging six, seven figure sums for these crisis management and evacuation plans, which weren't actually in place. It was just as good as the, the paper it was written on. And so for me, I was a bit concerned with that because, A, if something happens, you know, I'm probably going to be reliant on that, that plan. And so my wife um, uh, was giving birth to our daughter. I flew back out and I said, look, I've got a plan. There was a huge proliferation of weapons in Libya at the time. And so I bought 30 weapons on the black market and I buried them between Tunis and Egypt and designed my own evacuation plans and just sold that to the oil and gas sector. We lived in Aberdeen, which is the Houston of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had uh, exposure to the oil and gas companies. And fortunately for me, my wife, you know, she trained to be a CEP operator. She did surveillance as well, which we didn't plan on having our first daughter. So she ran the business behind the scenes. And so I didn't go on certain contracts. I was, I was working on ad hoc. I was, I was, every time the phone went off, it was a new country. It was a new type of security. Because when you tell people in the security industry, um, People look like me and DJ. I think we're doormen from the local nightclub. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. Right, right. The security industry is so diverse. It's everything from executive protection, con- uh, consulting, crisis management, surveillance, coaching, mentoring. It's huge. And so I was learning a lot about this industry in a short period of time um, and ended up doing more sensitive jobs as a civilian than I did when I was actually in the Special Forces. Uh, 2012, your American ambassador got killed. 
September 11th, um, I, I, I don't know if it was right place, right time or wrong place, wrong time, you know, because normally if I'm there, that something's gone wrong. And I, I was there that evening when he got killed in Benghazi and I, I got an oil company, um, their engineers from Benghazi back to Tripoli through safe houses that I had in the desert. And then in 2014, I was in Brazil covering the World Cup and I get a phone call from the Canadian embassy. There's the Tripoli war now, which is a civil war between the militias and the government. All the big security companies couldn't do anything about it. And yeah, this young girl rings me and said, look, your name has come up. Can you help us? So I flew back in and I single-handedly evacuated the Canadian embassy, 18 military and four diplomats, which sounds very sexy and very Hollywood. But my success in the security industry was understanding the ground truth, not what you're, you're seeing on TV. Um, understanding the politics, the tribal inferences, the actual uh, the temperature on the ground, yeah, the demographics sure. as, uh, as well, and not what's being relayed on 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 the TV. You know, Hollywood doesn't help matters with special forces. You know, I call it the bicep bullets and bombs. You, you see your Dwayne Johnsons and your Jason Stathams and them lot. You know, doing triple backwards somersaults and. We, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. All, all it's got absurd now. Yeah, exactly. And then everything explodes. Yeah, you got yeah. to so like catching a car. Yeah, I, like, I always wonder right, where man. they're going to change their magazine. I'm like, yeah. sure, that's 30 oh, rounds man. gone now. No, but, the, uh, but that's the offensive <laughs> action. And in the special forces, that's 25% of what we do. And that should be our last resort. No, 50% of what we do isn't actually that sexy. It's support and influence hearts and minds, being embedded with locals. And I just took that skill set from my time in the special forces and adopted that into into the security industry. So for me, it was just chatting to the tribal elders, having respect for them, showing them have, uh, communication, trust. Uh, yes, palm in their hands with a few hundred dollars maybe, but it just opened up a, a corridor for me to get these out. It wasn't eight guys looking like me trying to bully their way through with weapons. You know, we just did it just a- A political more, way. A political way, right. yeah, yeah. A, a non-discreet uh, right. approach. And so that's where I've been sort of successful in, in the security industry. And, and also where the other, where I have been successful as well is that when I go to these countries, whether it's in Africa or Latin America, um, you, you have to remember your guests in their country. There's no, no one has better knowledge of that country than the locals themselves. So I try and give as much work to the locals as I can, because if you're putting food on their table and showing them respect, they will, that comes back. You know, and they, you know, they, they will respect you. They will look after you. And, and you said, there's certain roles that I can't give them, you know, for, for sensitivity reasons, but you know, the majority of the work I can. And I think that's where I've been able to have been quite fortunate in, in the secure industry as well to, 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 to do that. Um, but no, after the, uh, this is a short intro about me. Yeah. No, man, yeah. it's fucking great. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But then after the Canadian embassy, my wife sat me down and she sort of highlighted I'd only been home 21 days in the 365-day calendar. So what I was doing, I wasn't really aware. I was trying to match the adrenaline rush that I had when I was in the Special Forces without coming to terms with the fact that you actually left. So fortunately for me, all the missions were successes, but if they weren't, I didn't have the SBS or the SAS coming to get me. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was on my own. And so... Um, chapter 16 in my book is called Dead or Divorced. That was just the conversation me and my wife were now having at this point. She just put a, a bottle of port down, two bottles of port actually. We drank until the sun came out and actually then realized I thought my wife wanted me to go away. I, I, I felt I needed to support my family as much as possible and she thought I wanted to go away for the adrenaline rush when in fact we didn't. We just miscommunicated and from that point on, you know, we 
we, we, we communicate all the time. We'll never get ourselves in that, in that position. So my wife is a property developer. I said, no, come work with me. And this, this leg now was two kilos lighter than this leg because of the muscle wastage. What year was that injury? The injury was in 2011. So you've been dealing with it for a long time. Yeah, dealing with it for a long time. Yeah. We're now in two, where, where are we now? We're probably in 2014 after the Canadian embassy. Yeah. Um, so I'd sort of neglected my own physical and mental well-being. I've been so fixated on work. Um, and so I decided I, I, will, I will work with my wife. And I bought a push bike off Amazon and just cycled to and from the office, only about eight miles each way. But as you know, being physically active, I just felt like there was a huge weight. I felt I could breathe again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cardiovascular PT is very different from, you know, maybe in the, in the gym. And so, um, no, I, I felt comfortable. And I, but you can imagine with my backstory, I was working with my wife and we were in these meetings and, I, you know, she could see that glaze in my eyes. Something had to change. And so I said, well, I, I've always fancied doing a world record. And it was about a month before my 40th birthday. And she said, well, what in? And I said, well, cycling's not hampering my knee. And so my wife then found the world's longest road, which runs from southern Argentina to northern Alaska. It's 14,000 miles over two continents. And, uh, and I never mean to sound arrogant, and it, it can come across quite arrogant. Having only cycled 20 miles, I applied for the world record. I said, yeah, yeah that'll do. Um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, Guinness came back. Guinness came back uh, six weeks later, said, yeah, you've been successful on your application. And so, so I now had the challenge. Me and my wife do a lot in the philanthropy area. We've, we found a, a campaign that we were going to do uh, work for, which is to promote mental health. But for not just veterans, from young children, teenagers, postnatal depression, the whole sector. Um, and the world record was 117 days. I uh, set a target of a million pounds. My wife ran the campaign, did all the fundraising, managed to get me sponsorship as a non-cyclist. She managed to get me half a million pound sponsorship. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, really. 117 days? The world record was 117 days, uh, and I did it in 99 days. I became the first man in history to do it under 100 days, smashing it by 17 days. Did you set out to do it under 100 days, or did it just you start halfway through or a quarter way through? You're like, "Fuck, I could do this 100 days." No, it, what it was is is I spoke to the previous record holders because when I was doing all my planning, there was a lot of stuff I, I and I was quickly learning about cycling through magazines and books, but I wasn't getting that crucial information I needed to plan this project. So the best people to talk to are those that experienced it themselves. So one of the things we do in the special forces is, um, you know, one of the reasons we're one of the best in the world isn't because the, the caliber of the guys and the training. It's because we're always learning from our mistakes. We're always evolving uh, and changing. And so what we used to do, on oper- not just on operations, but even on training, everything we do is, is called a hot debrief. So as soon as the helicopter lands or the plane lands or the, or the boat comes in, before you go clean your weapon, go get food, is... We would have a hot debrief because it's still fresh in your mind. And uh, the three questions you normally get were what worked, what didn't work, and if we were to do that again, what would we do differently? And that, that's, and you just you get all that information from there. And because and, people do make mistakes, it's natural for people to make mistakes. It's not a problem. But as long as you learn from those mistakes and it doesn't repeat itself. So that's what we, we tend to do. So I asked those three questions to the previous record holders, and they all started in Alaska. And finished in Argentina, but all their issues were in South and Central America. So for me, being a military guy, I was like, why would you not address those issues early? Get them in, a, whether it's bureaucracy, languages, spares for the bikes, get that out of the way early. And then 
once you're into North America, your, your home dries. So I turned it on its head. I, I, I started from, from Argentina. And yeah, I'd, the, the wheel record was 117 days. I was aiming for 110, and it wasn't because I wanted to smash it by a week and, and show off. When I was doing my planning, there was things that were out of my control, like natural disasters, coups, third-party influence. So if we encountered any of that while I was on the bike ride, if I was going for the 110, then at least uh, we call it fudge in the military. I had that one week fudge mm-hmm. that it could eat into that time. So 110 was the target. Um, I, I did South America in 48 days, so 10 days off the South America world record. Um, my decision from going south to north was a good decision. I had nice tailwind through South America, but logistically it was slowing me up. And the fact that we had to, you could get a vehicle from Alaska to Argentina if you cross the Darien Gap on a ferry. But coming up, you had to swap vehicles in every country. So that was, was slowing us up. So my wife, uh, we bought an RV in a 4x4 in Fort Lauderdale and was going to get shipped to Panama. Um, when I was in Ecuador, my wife rang me and told me that the, the vehicles hadn't been loaded onto the shipping container and they're still stuck in Fort Lauderdale. So my wife, uh, my PA, you know, thankfully had foresight. They flew over with a couple of my friends and drove the vehicles 4,000 miles in eight days from Fort Lauderdale through Mexico all the way to Panama. Um, I broke the wheel record in Cartagena, flew over, and an hour later they came in and, and handed the keys. But what's really important about that sort of that situation is that, and it, it's relatable to the special forces, is, is the team behind the scene that, that people don't see. You're only, as, you're only as good as your support team, your support network. So in the special forces, for every special forces guy to step off a helicopter or jump into the pl- out of the plane or into the water. It takes seven other people you don't see. And so Alana was uh, integral uh, on that. Now, did you have a team on the ground in South America with you? Yeah. So when I, when I was playing for the world record, there was no distinction between supported and unsupported. I right. was like, well, I'm having a support team because I don't know how to change a puncture or fix a bike. Yeah. Uh, yeah I just didn't know. Yeah. 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 So no, you were we, saying they met you. So I didn't know if you rode the first. No, no. So I had a support alone. team with yeah. me, and then we had a documentary team with us Got as it. well. And what was really an eye opener as well, and um, is the support team that weren't there at the end. You know, we had volunteers from everywhere, and because of the mental health side of things, I thought people wanted to get involved for the for the right reasons. It turns out when we're on the challenge, they had hidden agendas, you know, to self promote their businesses and and had wrong. Wrong reasoning to be there. So, but thankfully for me, I had Alana who was sort of managing that. You know, the medic I had to send home on day 13 because he was bullying the documentary team. And I'm like, we're on a mental health challenge here and I'm going to get allegations of bullying. So I'm having to deal with these, me and my wife having to deal with these situations when we're on the ground. Uh, I get to Mexico and the, the bike mechanic and uh, tells me that he now wants to be the project manager, wants to change. Now the success of the challenge is I've already broken one wheel record, you know, he, he wanted the, he saw the success of that and wanted to change the challenge name to replicate his company. Uh, he said, I couldn't do it without him. Sort of gave me an ultimatum in Mexico. So I flew him home and my friend carried on and we, you know, so actually the bike ride was the fun easy. when people do that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, but like, it wasn't, <laughs> like, you can't do this without me. I can't tell you how many times I've fucking heard that. Yeah. That's 24 fucking years. Exactly. And, and so for me, it's, it's like, you know, the bike ride was the easiest part. It was dealing with egos. That mm. was the hardest thing, the behind the scenes, what people didn't see. 
But I, I got into, um, they left in Mexico and we only had a five days out before we got to America. And I thought, well, when we're in America, there's bike shops, there's masseuses and stuff. So I, I get into America on day 70 and I'm 14 days ahead of the world record. And I'm at like, that point right there, that's, just at that point, that's crazy. Just at that point, I'm 14 days ahead. I'm like, perfect. You yeah. know, the world record's in sight. Hopefully now, having spoken to previous record holders, all our issues should be behind us. And I, um, I get an hour into um, Del Rio. It's Del Rio, I'm in, in, in Texas. I'm cycling along and I have five missed calls off my wife. And Alana's very good in keeping any sort of distractions away from me. So my, I knew it was obviously important, but my initial thought was our children. There's obviously something wrong. So I jump off and I, I phone her and I ask if everything's okay. She goes, oh, no, everything's fine. She goes, she goes, what do you wear to a royal wedding? I said, sorry. She goes, what do you wear to a royal wedding? I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, we've been invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding. Oh, I said, oh, yeah, that's nice. She goes, no, you don't realize. She goes, I've done the calculations. For you to get back in time, you need to be finished by day 102. So going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. Ten minutes later, I'm now a day behind. So everything I'd done up until now hadn't really counted. Oh, shit. And, and all my gains had been taken away from me. So the objective was still there. The timelines had now moved. The, in South America, I was, because uh, my security team, uh, sorry, because my uh, support team and my documentary team a bit more risk averse than myself, um, I had to be, be mindful of their welfare. So we, I would only cycle from first light to last light uh, and then be, be in the hotels you know, just for safety reasons. Coming into North America, you've got the luxury of, of the safety. And so I could cycle at night. I got to Lubbock the next day and we had 60 mile an hour winds and tornadoes and I was grounded for another 24 hours. So I'm now two days behind my new target. And there's, a, there's an app called Windy TV. It's quite popular with sailors and it gives you the strength and directions of the winds every hour. And so all I did was I just, just scanned, scanned this app, just moved it every hour, looked at the winds. And I had to cycle 340 hours, sorry, 340 miles in the next 36 hours to miss the next weather window before the next winds came in. And so I just played chess with Mother Nature, did the majority of my cycling at night uh, when it was dark, plenty of highway patrolmen stopping me at three in the morning, wondering what I was doing. Um, and actually of all the places that I'd traveled through security situations, it was Colorado Springs that one of our vehicles got broken into. <laughs> yeah. So here's me thinking. That's that not surprising. <laughs> Colorado's getting hot. No, it, I'm just it, saying. It's getting like, hot. <laughs> but that is, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, fuck, to go through all South America, all, all no, South no America, issues. Yeah. And that's fucking hilarious. Colorado Springs. Yeah. I thought the, you would have said like Oakland, California. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of my mates had driven down from Vancouver Island. Once I told him about the, the support team leaving, he said, well, I've got time off. He came down and he, he does a lot of fishing and hunting. So he'd obviously seen an attraction with his vehicle. Um, but yeah, I, but I also use those winds to my advantage. I got to Cheyenne in Wyoming and I picked up a 50 mile an hour tailwind. So cycled 270 miles in 11 hours. And so, yeah. That's all I did for North America. We had 17 days planned for North America. I cycled in 11 and a half days from Texas to Canada. So I was now back on target where I should be. And I get to a town called Whitehorse and I was in McDonald's and literally, you know, I'm burning calories. I'm burning nine to 12,000 calories a day. And so however much I ate, I was still losing weight. Um, and that was one of the... One of the, the good things about coming into America was the culinary options. I could literally <laughs> eat whatever I wanted <laughs> and as much as I wanted as well. So I'm sat in McDonald's, uh, you know, don't judge me, but I'm just eating about four Big Mac meals. And 
I'm on social media and my friend tells me about this professional cyclist who's already got three other world records sponsored by Red Bull, all the big brands. And he'd come out on social media that day and told the world that he was going to cycle it in August and be the first man in history to do it under 100 days. So every time I thought I was at my objective, my objective kept moving. So for me, I, I sort of cycled away from that. And I'm like, would I be comfortable coming in whatever time I come in now, knowing I hadn't pushed myself even further, or do I try and come in under the 100 days? And so I had to cycle for 22 hours in the last 30 hours in minus 18 degrees centigrade in the, in the snow to, to get into, into Prudhoe Bay. So yeah, became the first man in history to do it on 100 days. So it wasn't the original question. It wasn't the original plan. Yeah, It's just how things changed on the ground. And I think my time in the special forces helped with that. You know, we go on operations and sometimes there's no infrastructure in place. You, you still have your objective, but you just need to bounce your way along there, you know? And so it's just being reactive to the situation changes on the ground, which was the success uh, of this challenge for me. Dean, I want to ask you because I, I was, there's a quote that I love. We talk about planning, right? And one of my favorite quotes when it comes to this stuff is like, you know, the perfect plan is imperfect. Right. And like you have to be able to 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 stay fluid enough to handle these different changes. Can you break down in your mind, in, in your mindset, in your experience, what what would you consider the foundation of a perfect plan? Yeah, I don't think there is a perfect plan. You know, Mike Tyson has a good, good one. Doesn't he? It's always a good plan to get punched. Um, you know, we have one in the military. Your plan doesn't survive first contact. So when we're doing our plan, we didn't expect them to start shooting back. Um, so for me, it's, you know. Where I, I was lucky is you can't be experienced without experiences. I've never cycled 14,000 miles. But one of my old sergeant majors used to tell me when there was a big situation, the first question was, is someone going to die? If there is, then obviously we need to do something now. If not, let's have a cup of tea and let's talk about it and make a plan. And, 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 so, and that's how I sort of looked at it. I thought, well, you can't control the uncontrollable. That's what it is. You just need to be reactive. You know, plans, plans are good. It's always good to have a plan, but don't be reliant on that plan. You need to have, need to have flex. Don't get upset. And a lot of people get upset, upset and don't know what to do when it doesn't go to plan. You know, we'll just say, well, the objective's still the same. Um, obviously, that route's blocked. So let, what are we going to do now? How are we going to still get there? And what do we, it may be I need to now cycle 18 hours rather than 10 hours. Well, that's a fundamental, I think that's a fundamental skill set, even in entrepreneurship, right? I was talking to a group of entrepreneurs, actually, Arte Syndicate call last night, and the topic was, the question that I was answering was, how, when you create this vision for your company, right, and then you trace the plan backwards, right? You're here, I want to get to here, this is where I want to be, how am I going to get there and make the plan? And people were confused. Like a lot of people, not a few, like a lot of people, they're like, well, what happens when the plan doesn't work? And I'm like, bro, that's the game. Like, that's the art of entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. We find another way around, you know, like the destination doesn't change just the way we get there, you know? And that's, I think that's, that skill set, which is automatic, like that skill set's kind of built into my mindset. And it, I know it is yours too, but mm. like, it's, I think it's hard for people to really grasp that concept. I think they, they do get frustrated, man, when the, like the thing doesn't go. Like when things don't go to plan, like you know this, DJ. Yeah. DJ's with me every day. Like when th things never go to plan. I've never had one day. <laughs> yeah, <dude>. So like <laughs> we don't get pissed off though. We're like, okay, so what do we got to do? What do we got? We got to do this, 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 and we'll yeah. still get it done. And 
it does seem like a lot of people really have a hard time with that concept. Yeah, I think that people always look at the negatives. I'm not, we um, we had a big uh, we did a big fundraising event in UK. We raised seventy thousand pounds, and that was going and and that money went for us to put a deposit down on the hotel in London for the welcome back party. So before I'd even gone on the challenge, we're planning this huge welcome back party with royal family there. You know, some big celebrity names. And a, a good friend of mine, Amanda, she she runs the events. You know, we had this committee, and she would say, "So, so what's what's Plan B? You know, what?" And I, and I never used to answer her. And my wife would answer it. She goes, "Plan B is we go to Dean's funeral." Mm. And I actually said to her when I got back, I said, "The reason I didn't give you an answer is because I, I couldn't comprehend that we had an alternative option." I goes, "Because that's what people tend to do. People." If they realize there's an, uh, a plan B or a plan C, when it gets hard, they automatically they divert. will naturally veer yeah. to that. So for me, I think that's the suicide of most people's dreams. Bro. It is, yeah, and that's it what really is. I know what you were saying. People are already telling you why they can't do it rather than why why they can. So I used to block off them. You know, for me, it was like zero option mentality. Zero dude. option. We, that's ha- it. we have to do yeah. it. But a challenge like that as well. You know, fourteen thousand mile. You know, I was, I was saying about you can't be experienced with experience. I'd never cycled before, but I had done endurance challenge. Like our selection is is um, is nine months, six months selection, and three months with the SBS. And on day one, I'm not thinking about nine months later getting my berry and belt. I'm thinking about what do I need to do today to get here tomorrow. You know, and so you're sort of chipping away at the iceberg. And that's why I did this challenge. I looked at the fourteen thousand miles. You know, it just consume me. You wouldn't get on the flight. Um, I broke it down into countries, broke it into days, and broke that in, into stages. So I, as I talked about nutrition, I, I was going to always be losing weight. So nutrition was key for me to eat as much as I could. But as cyclists know out there, when you go for a bike ride from home, it's, you tend to do a loop. At some point, you'll have a headwind. some point, you'll have a tailwind. Well, for me, I'm going in one direction. So I would get on the bike in the morning and just cycle as fast as I could for two hours. And that would give me my average speed for the day. And then I would then be able to make a plan from that, I'd stop, pause for 30 minutes, quite disciplined in my timings. It was literally 30 minutes and I'm back on the bike. I wasn't having a selfie with a llama. I wasn't chatting to the <laughs> documentary team or, or yeah. doing a tweet. Um, and then I would just look at the next two hours. I wouldn't look at that afternoon, the next day, or, or, or look at any of else. And so for me, I was just doing four training rides a day. Bro, don't you, don't you think, I mean, you, you know a lot of people who have done amazing things. Yeah. Isn't that comp? Isn't that like the way they all look at it? Like that's how that's how I look at my entire life. Yeah, I look at it day by day, and then action by action. You know, and anybody who I've ever met that's done extraordinary things, like you have, or or, or, or let's say James Lawrence, right? The yeah. the Iron Cowboy. Yeah, the yeah. Iron, like dude, the, it's just a system, man. Mm. It's just executing within what's right in front of you, and and I think people overcomplicate it. Because they get so enamored with like the scale of the job, yeah. the, the main objective, yeah, yeah, that they think it's impossible. Like, dude, nothing's impossible if you're willing to break it down into hourly actions that you must take. Yeah, and it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit of maths, it's a bit of discipline. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, always, um, I think the first week I was uh, in the Ushuaia in Argentina, we had strong winds, and so by the end of the first week, I was 39 miles behind target but my target was still a week ahead of the world record. And from then on, it was all gains. And so for mentally, I was always in a good place. People are, you know, how hard was it? But you see people when they're doing challenges and they're like, well, I'm 10 miles behind today. You know, what I'll do is I'll catch that up tomorrow. But you don't know what 
tomorrow is going to bring. You may have another bad day, you know, 20, 20 miles. 30 miles. That's right. And so mentally, when you're going to bed at night, you're not in the right mindset. And so for me, I always say, stay on that bike. You know, even in business, make those extra five phone calls because you're where you're supposed to be for the day. I mean, you're in a good headspace at night and starting the next day. And so it's just little, there's nothing, there's no art. It's just tricking, just tricking the mind. Yeah. Was. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, man. That's awesome. I want to ask you: Did did the guy who uh, who made that announcement saying that he wanted to to smash? Did he end up like attempting it? Did he? He did. Yeah. No, Michael Strasser. I met him in um, in Vienna. He went and beat my uh, my world record. He he actually went from Alaska to Argentina. And um, but when I met him, he said, "Yeah, but you you are still the first man in history to do mm -hmm. 100 days." The thing is, I'm not a cyclist, and so I dipped my toe in cycling. I've enjoyed it, and uh, now I'll dip it in another sport. Where is <laughs> so, he? how many days he do it? Uh, what do he, he did it in eight, 87 days? Yeah, well, smashed you got to do it again then. Yeah, I know. The hot debrief: what worked, what didn't work, and we can do it again. What would we do differently? Yeah. But um, no, what was great, and we're now actually there's a young lad. I say young lads because I'm 46. Uh, there's a young lad who's You're 46. A, I'm 46. Shit, yeah, bro, you look good. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, so I started cycling at 40 and broke the world record at 41. But there's a young lad doing it next year, and so he's come to me for advice, and I've given him everything that he needs. And actually, Michael from who broke my wheel record, he was going to go a slightly different route. And what was comforting was the fact that he said, "You, your route was perfect." I did exactly what you did. So for me, that was a nice comfort that, yeah, you know, he that's a did. nice compliment to yeah, your, compliment, to your yeah. uh, planning and execution. Exactly. Everything. Yeah. Right. And, and, and Will Records, you set the bar for other people to try and hit that bar. And that's why I did. I, I hit, Michael hit that bar. I mean, now this young lad next year, me and Michael are now giving him our input and information. I bet that makes you feel good, dude. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't like when people... Um, a challenge in other people or who are trying to beat their challenge. Yeah. For me, it's like, I'm not, thing is, I'm not a cyclist. Yeah. And so for me, I just, I just, um, I just took what I, you know, I was successful in the military, even the security industry. And then I've done it in, in a, in a sport. It's all about education is what can people learn from, from it, your It always feels good to see people win that, that you helped inspire or, or see them on a path. You know what I mean? Like I've been doing this long enough now where I've had a couple, you know, notable guys in business you know, they say, hey, bro, I watched what you've done and I went and did that. And I that shit always makes me feel good, even though I'm competing against the same people. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, no. It's it, cool. It, it's, it's, it's a nice, mutual it's a nice feeling. Respect, yeah. like, you know? But when I reached out to the previous record holders, I thought none of them were going to speak to me. Every one of them spoke to me yeah. and gave me everything I needed. Yeah, so amazing. why would I not do that the same to the, yeah. to, to the next person? You know, that's for cool, me, bro. And but what was that's more the way it should be. Yeah, but what was more impressive, you know, it's great having the world record and 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 doing that. We, but we raised 1.3 million dollars as well, which is probably more impressive than the bike ride. And so yeah. for that me was was that added comfort as well. Yeah. Um I wasn't doing it just to self-promote, you know, I was doing it so I wasn't, you know, working not working with my wife, but just Bro, you're a fucking badass motherfucker, man. <laughs> I think my wife like for is real, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So um So this but, is a great intro. Motherfucker's gonna be like, hey, this is the old, the the show that Andy talked the least on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Half people are gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah, I never looked beyond I did it so I wasn't smuggling people across borders. I didn't yeah. see career and guest speaking, TV or, or or book opportunities. Um but for me, you know, I, I you know it, it's nice. I've enjoyed that. Um but security is still where that's still where my heart and passion lives. I like to so what are you doing with help that? people. So yeah, I, I was actually chatting to um, 
uh, the head of station, the CIA in one of the Middle Eastern countries. Just, Did he measure me? Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> he knows you. <laughs> Where am I out on the list? No, Andy, that's, that's, that's this station chief oh, okay. in the U.S. Yeah, you, you should be good over there. <laughs> and he said, I've just Googled it. I said, look, I said, don't Google me. There's two Dean Stotts. There's the one that the, the world sees, and there's one that still very much enjoy helping people in in, uh, in the security world. So we, we got hundreds of people out of Afghanistan. We're still getting people out of Afghanistan, although everyone thinks Ukraine's over, the main right. focus. It's still... It's still Afghanistan. Excuse me. It was upsetting to see like some people took advantage of that situation to sort of self-promote their businesses. And yeah. then as soon as Ukraine, a week later, they're, they're in Ukraine. I'm like, there's still a problem in, in Afghanistan. But my reason for that is I like to help people. That's, that's where my skill set. There were like. a lot of scams going around around Afghanistan. People a don't. Shit ton. People aren't aware of that. It, 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 yeah, because I think because of the success of the um, Canadian embassy and everything I'd done before, my name obviously was 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 pushed out there, and we ended up bringing out clients who none of them were our clients. They were, were from other security companies who, again, some of the big five who actually didn't realize that A, they didn't have a plan in place, but actually weren't even insured. And so where I've sort of been successful in the, in the crisis management evacuation plans, insurance companies will get an aircraft in there. They'll get an aircraft into the airport, but you're not covered from your start point to there. And I, so that's where I focus on. It's called the first mile. I thought, I'm not worried about the airport. That's the easy part. And how am I going to get you from A, A to B? So we, we had 10 years of connectivity on the ground. We were actually working with the Taliban intelligence. You know, they were opening the doors. They, were, they didn't want a situation happening on their watch. You know, obviously ISIS came in and, and, and got involved, but the Taliban were actually very proactive in, in, in helping us. But yeah, it was, it was, it was nice. It's hard to, for people to accept. It's hard for people to accept, people, but that's ground been, truth. I know. People yeah. have been told the whole entire time, Bad, 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 yeah. bad. And then when you hear those things, they get people get like upset about it. Yeah, yeah. but they still did. Right. Like, okay. It's like, bro, you're not understanding the cultural yeah. dynamic in the, in the country. Well, it goes back to your point. Like, I mean, there is a difference between understanding and seeing what you're seeing on mainstream media and actually knowing the ground temperature. Yeah. Actually knowing what's It's usually what's the opposite. On. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Typically the opposite. Yeah. It's crazy. But unfortunately, you know, with, with the world of uh, media, everyone's quick to tarnish a certain community because of a certain bad group within that community. Um, you know, you know I, I talk about some of my successes. None of that would have been possible if it actually wasn't for the Muslim community in Libya giving me safe houses in Somalia and Yemen. And, and so it's... You know what's crazy, dude, is how hard they brainwashed. I was just talking to my, my friend who's actually from... Uh, he's from Kuwait. I was talking to him uh, just yesterday. And I used to make jokes like because we were pretty good friends and I'd make he'd be like, man, come see me in Kuwait. I'm like, bro, I don't want my fucking head cut off. Like we would joke <laughs> yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. right? And then but like I actually told him the other day, I'm like, bro, I, I you know, I want to apologize for, for those jokes because what I realized is that I was being lied to about Middle Eastern culture the entire time, you know, and and dude, these people aren't the terrorists that the American media has made them out to be. They're very kind people with high standards of civility that don't tolerate any bullshit. I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and, and a lot of them, a lot of them, especially some of the Middle East countries I go to, they don't like the extremists and they will yeah. quash it themselves. Yes. Um, um, and actually, you know, some people ask me, you know, what, especially the 20 years in Afghanistan, what's the difference between Taliban 1.0 to 2.0? And I said, we're at 1.5. They're very social media savvy. They're a bit more intelligent. You know, there's still issues with like education um, and stuff, but, you know, 
there's bad people there, but there's bad people here in our mm -hmm. in our society. And so it's, it's it's all over the world. But it's just really understanding that. But yeah, back to the Afghan, we had I think I had on forty six WhatsApp groups and everything from the problem you had there is everyone saw an opportunity to try and get everyone out. And it's like unfortunately, but it's hard for us to say no to certain people because you had to fit a certain bracket. You know, I had like the British Boxing Association telling me the Afghan boxing team at risk. I said, they're not at risk. You know, they've not worked with the Americans or the Brits. We had the, the Housewives of Orange County. Actually, it wasn't Orange County, but, you know, they'd raised like two million and they wanted to do good. So all these nonprofits were popping up. All these veterans were trying to help. But they soon all then uh, are now being investigated by the FBI for human trafficking because they didn't understand the nuances of evacuations. They were getting people out with no passports and dropping them in Latvia, Romania. I'm like, have you heard about these places? So, yeah. so for us, it was hard for me because I never like to say no, but we had to do it and we had to be methodical. There had to be the right paperwork in place. Uh, and that's why we continue to still, still do it. Um, but yeah, then sad to see that everyone's heads then started turning to Ukraine, but that's what's trending. And then all of a sudden these certain individuals, took their TV crews and went over there. And I was like, well, there's still an issue in Afghanistan. And the big di difference between Afghanistan and Ukraine, uh, Ukraine sorry, is Afghanistan, the men left and the women and kids stayed behind. In Ukraine, the men stayed and the women and kids left. That's the two distinctions. And that, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. But, so what do you, so, so tell us about what you, like what you're actually working on right now. So working on a few things in, Obviously, the security stuff. We're now yeah. working in Sudan. Obviously, in the Sudan crisis now. How is that over there? It's it's not unlike um, some of the other situations. It's it's, it's military or military. So mm -hmm. they're not targeting the civilians. They're not targeting the Westerners. Unfortunately, with the timing, there was ten thousand Brits there and seventeen thousand Americans because it was in the middle of Ramadan. They'd all gone over. Uh, for Ramadan. That's why there's a, a high number of people there. But the, the American military went in, the British military gone in, they've taken out all their embassy staff. Um, and I think they've learned a lot from Afghanistan. It's like, we will we'll take those critical. Um, but it's then down to the private security companies to, to get the rest out. But um, I think, again, it's not as bad as what the media's making out. Um, so there isn't a mad, mad rush to get one out. There's a lot of lessons learned from Afghanistan. But um, it's different there. It's military on military. So as long as you can try and avoid, you know, the unfortunate incident, be get caught in the crosshairs, wrong place, wrong time. Um, but these are just some examples. You know, this goes on all the time. There was yeah. an incident in Mozambique a couple of years ago where 70 Brits got killed, you know, by terrorists. That didn't even make the news. That's bigger than any deaths we had in Afghanistan, any we've had in Sudan. So, 70? 70, yeah. Damn. Yeah. And 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 it's um they got ambushed trying to go from their hotel to the port, thinking there was a ferry there and the ferry wasn't there, and only a couple of vehicles made it through. The rest the rest got killed. And they get another example of an evacuation plan which actually wasn't in place. A lot of them it's just a paper exercise. It's like the shit they were doing in Benghazi. Yeah, exa yeah. exactly. And it's like, oh yeah, we got a, got a plan. Well, has anyone tested that plan? Is anyone right. that's what we tend to do? We go out and we we practice the first mile, we'll pen test it and make sure that you have a secondary plan, you have a tertiary plan, you have safe houses along, along the way. And, you know, I've, I've done it for a couple of the big organizations in South America, met their security team. And I said, oh, so what's the evacuation plan? And they've probably just gone on Google earth and said, oh, this is, this is the route. And I, I checked the weather the next day and it's like rain. I said, well, we'll go out tomorrow. It's impassable. And so it's like, 
So what's your secondary plan? Well, we, 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 don't, we don't have one. So, so for me, I just like to educate security organizations is like, well, this is what you, what you need to have. Again, just, just sharing that information. Um, a lot of them think I'm a bit of a disruptor. But I'm, I'm not a disruptor. I just, a lot of security can, I understand they've got to make money, but they, they make it hard for the rest of us in the security industry when they're charging, you know, far too much when they don't need to be. And it, but what you tend to find though is those that are charging too much are the, are the big companies which have big overheads and lots of staff. And so, but they, the guys that are doing the work on the ground are, are me and my friends. So I always say that we can still deliver at 50%. Uh, are you still going out in the field on these things? Um, I think my, I'm probably now, now my book and, and everything else, I'm not the one smuggling people across borders yeah. anymore. But, but the, other, the other reason I like to stay in the security industry is, is as we touched on earlier, that identity crisis. When you're leaving- well, I just ask, bro, because I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I will get a job for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, we'll get you in a, in a turban dressed up. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a yeah. there's a great image of me with, with a full on turban, yeah. and and, uh, and um, that's one of the things I regret, dude. Like really? about <clears throat> like the path I, t I I'm very fortunate the path I took, but a lot of times, man, like I think about some of the cool stuff that you know the cool other stuff that I could have done, and I, I hear these stories, I'm like, fuck, that sounds awesome. Yeah, but yeah. I think also then probably people in the ministry listen to your podcast and I'd love to be, yeah. to be Andy. You know, yeah. the grass is green on the other side, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I think I was, you know, when I did selection, there was guys I was on selection with who all they've ever wanted to be is in the special forces from a young age. And they all failed selection because they got themselves that self-induced pressure. They put the, their whole life had been up until this point. I sort of went into it in the blasé approach is like, well, We'll see what happens. I've seen guys, you know, and so, you know, your path where you end up is very different from when you're, I always want to be a fireman. I'm not yeah. a fireman. Yeah. You know, I look at firemen yeah, now and you, think, oh, I wish I could do that. And they're yeah. probably looking at me thinking, oh, I wish I could do what exactly. you do. So, you know, just, I think you appreciate what, what you've got in front yeah. and, um, yeah, no, we, we, no, I, you know, I think you're in, in, in a good position. Well, no, it's not terrible. Yeah. But there's worse things yeah. for sure. But the, uh, yeah, the security though, the, I understand that identity crisis. That's a really difficult period when you're, all you've known is the military for 20, right. 25 years. I mean, you're, you're about to enter into the, the civilian sector. I think that's for anybody that goes through a major change. You yeah. Know, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, you know, Phil Heath, seven time Mr. Olympia or eight time no, no. Mr. Olympia, I believe. Uh, good buddy of mine. We were, him and I were chatting on DMs the other night, just talking shit. And he was like, you know, after he quit competing, he went through an identity crisis. And we were talking, and I'm like, man, that would be like if I sold my company. It's like, it's your whole thing. And then you kind of have to reinvent who you are and become that next version or that next evolution of who you are. Yeah, it's, it's not just military, as you rightly put there. You know, it could be sports, could be working for an organization. We like to be in a tribe. And then when you're no longer in that tribe, you're trying to find another tribe that you fit in. And that's, that's the dangerous part. You know, when I see these, these veteran suicides, you know, I learned a lot about mental health, you know, when I was doing the bike ride and getting introduced to these charities, you know, um, and I'm very fortunate. I don't have post-traumatic stress myself, but 75% of those in the military post-traumatic stress has got nothing to do with the military. It's their childhood. It's just triggers in the military. And so when they come out, they feel lost. You know, that I, 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 I might not relate to that, that group or, you know, I might not fit into that group. And so that's, that's the vulnerable time. And that's where I like the security because I know when they're at their most vulnerable and they're worried about, is there going to be work out there? How can I support my family? And everything else is that I can bring them work. So I've got a good pool of 
guys and girls getting out. And so if I can just help them on that initial phase, then I feel like I'm 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 giving back as well. Yeah. Yeah. Are are the because let me talk about like you know veteran uh, veterans mental health. Uh, suicide awareness things like that do you guys see the same numbers in the uk as we see over here i think in comparison to the size of the military because you're you know i was looking the other day uh, I, I do a lot of stuff i did work here in the us with the honor foundation mm -hmm. uh, which is a a non-profit which is a transition program for special forces men and women um it's like a 13-week program for when they get out and then I looked at SOCOM, Special Operations Command, like 59,000. Like, uh, our military is only 80,000 <laughs> in total. So, but in comparisons to numbers, they're probably similar. We don't have as many suicides, but we don't have a, as much of a, a larger yeah. military. But yeah, I think it's the same throughout. What's the comparison on suicides for veterans versus just regular people, percentage-wise? I don't even know. Oh, that's massively different. Is it? Massively different, yeah. I mean... <clears throat> Because I mean, that's where the whole twenty-two a day thing came from. I understand right? that, but like, we don't know how many actual like. That doesn't mean it's massively different. One point five. Okay. Yeah. But I, th I, I think it, I, again, I don't think it's. Yes, there, there's those that post-traumatic stress from what they've probably seen in the military, and and everyone's different in the military. And you know, I see guys who are on the same operations, and their, their reaction is slightly different from mine, mm -hmm. or, or or whatever. Um, but it, I think. You don't get as many suicides when they're in the military. It's when they've left that community and they haven't got that support. They don't network. have the structure. They don't they, have, yeah. They don't have they structure. The they don't know where yeah. they're going to fit in society. And, and, and that's where they're most vulnerable. Um, and the militaries, I've seen it now with the UK. There's a, there's a lot more to help and support. It's still not great. When I left, I got a phone call 10 weeks later asking if I had a job. And then that was it. That's the last time I heard from them. It's, that you know, it. <laughs> I think, I think people, you know, I have a lot to learn, obviously. Um, but in my 43 years, what I figured out about myself is that, you know, who I thought I was at 20 is much, or who I thought I was going to be at 20 is much different than who I actually was at 30 and who I thought I would be at 40 is actually much different than who I actually became at 40. And I think we struggle when we're young, which most of the people in the military are young, with labeling an iron, it's sort of like what we talked about with the planning, right? You, you label yourself so hard this one thing, right? I'm a special forces operator, or I'm a business owner, or I'm a bodybuilder, and I've, I'm an Olympia winner. And you, that becomes set in stone, so much so that we don't recognize that life is a set of evolutions yep. over the course of time. And there's going to be three or four, maybe even five times over the course of your life where that thing that you tried and worked and put all your effort into becoming is there's going to be an end of that chapter and, and there's going to be the beginning of a new chapter. And for some reason, <clears throat> and I don't think, well, actually not for some reason, nobody ever tells us that. Like nobody ever explains that to us. Nobody ever says like, hey, you know, one day, man, you're probably not going to own these companies. One day, you're probably not going to be jumping out of airplanes. One day you're not going to be able to compete on a stage. And because no one tells that, it's very hard to adjust to the new identity. And there's that, that, that time period. And I think that's where people get vulnerable with the mental health. I think it's where they're confused. You know, because I've done a lot of speaking engagement with, with veterans that are transitioning out as a uh, potential for, to be entrepreneurs afterwards. And it always feels like, they, like it feels like they're kids. Like they're little, just young kids and they're like confused. And it's like, bro, like you guys can do this shit. This is, this is, this is very reasonable things for you guys to do. And, um, 
you know, when we're in those transition phases, our confidence is low, we're unsure, we're insecure about who we are, our whole entire uh, path is questioned. And, and, you know, I think that's where people get mentally vulnerable. Yeah, I, th- I think th- we have to understand that it is a series of evolutions that we're going to go through. It is, yeah. I, th- I think in each evolution, you, you have an experience you take into the next evolution. Right. I think a good point you, you touched on there is that, yeah, you're almost like kids when you leave. You know, I've yeah. never felt more vulnerable than I was 33 leaving. I've done some amazing things in operations, but I was so intimidated about this world that I was, I was unaware of. Yeah. You know, the military are great. They're like your mother, your father. They clothe you, they feed you, they pay you on time. I didn't know who provided the gas or the electric. I didn't care. That was dealt for those because I had a job to do. So they keep all the distractions away from you. And so when I left the military, it was like, they, 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 they give you, uh, you call them resumes, we call them CVs, mm-hmm. uh, CV writing and interview technique. That's all they teach you. Well, I've never had an interview. I've never written a CV. But I want to know is, who do I need to go to from a local council for this advice or, or whatever? So the... Um, guys get intimidated and girls when they get out because they yes they may not have degrees but they have so many other skill sets which are lacking now in society being able to talk in public um being able to make decisions on the ground make important decisions without worrying about kickback from the from the boss being reactive to changes in the plan that's something that naturally comes in the military but in the corporate world yeah but in the corporate world it's not and so Mm -hmm. for them it's just uh, sort of explaining the the um explaining that narrative and also the 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 um the crosses you know for example like j4 we call is like stores it's just like uh, doing a, a warehouse check well that's what j4 is and just explaining that to them but i think a lot of them do get intimidated and feel they they can't come out but i think they a lot of them come out and they're already above their potential peers it's just explaining to them where they where they can potentially fit but yeah it is i was most vulnerable when I was getting out, I thought, I, I, I can't do it. But my wife, and my wife's, I was lucky. I see people's transition quite turbulent or quite smooth. And those that are smooth tend to have a good support network around them. And my wife sort of took, I still don't know who provides the gas or electric for the house. My wife still, you know, she took that responsibility away from me. She does that. And, and my wife has a, a, a book out actually, you know, pitching for her now. It's called How to Ask for Money. And the way she explains it, when I was in the military, and this probably goes for some of these ones that are leaving. Is when I'm planning an operation. Now, in, now hold on. How to ask for money? What, and what's her full? What's what's her pen name on the book? So, uh, so people can buy. Oh, it. Oh, how to ask for money is Alana Stott. Okay. Yeah, Alana right. Stott, MBE. Yeah. So she's just now been honoured the. Uh, I get this right. Most excellent order of the British Empire. It sounds archaic, but it's her services to uh, vulnerable women and, and mental health because of the money that she raised on on the on the bike ride. But the um. But when I'm explaining, when I'm in the military, I'm planning an operation in Afghanistan. I need two Chinook helicopters. I need two Blackhawks. I need some fast air, 40 guys, this amount of ammunition. No one gives me a bill. No one tells me how much that costs, an NDA or a proposal. It's automatically done. So we come from a society where it's there for you. And we, we don't know what the bottom line is because we've got a mission to do. And then you have to come into a society where it's all about money. And, and, and so that's where it gets quite intimidating. And I still don't, I still feel vulnerable asking for money. And that's where my wife comes in. And I think a lot of people from the, the military, that's where they struggle is because they, they can't value their worth. You know, what is our worth compared to these? How do we translate? How do we translate? And my wife says it with me is like, I charged $7,000 to evacuate the Canadian embassy. That was it. 
But that's all I needed to get my, a couple of my fixes. And it was the right thing to do. Whereas, you know, my wife's like, well, I, we don't, from our background, our objective is to help people and get them out. If we see someone, it's K&R, kidnap ransom, or, or evacuating people out of countries. I don't see a price on that life. I just need to get them out. Whereas actually my wife sees, well, no, there is a price on that life. And so that's where a lot of guys and girls in the military, they, they undervalue their worth. And, and, what would a and bit, people what, take advantage of that as well. What yeah. would a, one of the bigger companies charge for that job? Oh, you, you get hundreds of thousands yeah, per, per head. Yeah. Per head. Um, and, and, you know, they would probably have charged for a retainer for having the plan in place. And then when the, the phone call goes, then they upscale uh, for the manpower. But for me, it was $7,000. And the reason for that was for it to get more money, it was going to take more time. And we were on a short time window. Uh, we, we had to get out. And for me, it was, it was the right right thing to do. don't get me wrong like tenfold now I, I get work from that because it's the right thing but when you go, go back to afghanistan there's people flying in planes charging you know not point at you but there's people flying in planes charging ten thousand dollars a seat and i'm like well you know you're doing it for the right reasons if you can afford to get a plane in there you know yeah. I, i'm not saying uh break even or lose money you can still make money but it you know don't take advantage of people's vulnerabilities and that's where i get upset sometimes yeah. in industry but then my wife then brings me back down to earth. She goes, yeah, but we need to still feed our kids. Right, <laughs> right, so, right, yeah. so that's where people in the military struggle is because they don't understand their worth. People see that they have great skill sets and can bring great things to the team but, and sort of take advantage of that. And so that's where I try and help when they're transition, give them work, give, explain to them what an NDA is, what a proposal is, you know, and stuff like that. And that's what the military should be working on is, is those sort Actual of skill sets, skill, yeah. those skill sets in business. For sure. Yeah. For sure, man. Dude, you, you've done some incredible shit, brother. Like I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, fuck. special forces, bike ride. Now you're running security. What's your favorite thing out of all of these things that you're doing? What's your, what, what is the thing that like you're most proud of besides your family? That's yeah, yeah, be the generic answer. Yeah, it's an easy. Yeah, one. Everyone's going to say my kids, <laughs> yeah. my wife. I'm not talking about that shit. We yeah. all know that. But like, what do you, what do you, what makes it tick for you, man? I think it's as you touched on the evolutions. When yeah. I was in the military, it was getting in the special forces, um, and then you know the the evacuations that I've done. I'm proud of that in, in the security industry. And then the bike ride was was great as well. I um, so for me, there's a, there's a number of things that I I'm proud of. But then I just look forward. I don't think. I've written my legacy yet. You know, I'm just starting. Yeah. What's the next evolution and what can I, what can I do for that? You know, a great one. I, I bumped into my chief instructor on my selection at an airport once. And the problem we've got with some of the guys and girls in the special forces, they rest on their laurels from two evolutions back. And he's like, I'm not interested what you did then. What have you, what have you done? What are you doing now? You know, what are you doing next? You know, cause it's easy for me to say, well, I'm special forces, will record, done this and just sit back. But for me, I just want to, and I'm continually learning, learning from others as well. You know, what are we going to do next? Will I do another challenge? I need to get that cleared by the wife. But, or, but for me, it always comes back to, to the security. You know, I like each day is a different day. Each time I get a phone call, it's a different task. It's a different country. It's a different, different challenge. I like to problem solve. Um, and, but I'm also mindful at the moment that I... I can spend more time with my family as well. Um, that we don't have that conversation again on chapter 16, dead or divorced. Uh, yeah, no shit. Yeah. So it's just trying to balance that yin and the yang. So 
So there's a, back to your question. Special Forces was a proud moment for me. Um, the Canadian Embassy stuff was good. The bike ride, of course, was great, and then raising the millions. But also, my wife being honoured with her MBE—that's a proud moment for me as well. Yeah. Because I feel like now, because none of this would have been possible without her, and I feel like now she's been recognised for yeah. that. Yeah, uh, you know, going forward, and and it gives her that credibility moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So that's I'm cool. That. So what's next? So what's next? Jordan next week, right? Yeah. So we're we I'm filming it. I'm doing a show with one of the main streamers. Um, I got asked to do it a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it's it's within my my wheelhouse. You know, it's to do with the special forces. It's not a baking show or a gardening show. Um, it's, um, I it's think that'd be cool. That's the next season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you and DJ doing a baking show? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that, 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 that will be coming out later on this year, eight episodes. Um, so I'll, I'll be finishing that. I'm still doing a lot of the security stuff. As I mentioned, Sudan's uh, still going on. Um, my wife's got five books coming out this year, three kids books, How to Ask Some Money, her own memoir, and we just launched our own podcast as well called Behind the Scene. There you go. But seen as in S-W-E-N. So we're getting guests on those from either celebrities, sports, business. But as we touched on, I, I genuinely believe that anyone can break a world record if you have that support network around you. And so in any relationship, uh, the success of someone, someone has to sacrifice or someone's doing work behind them. So the podcast is bringing a person on who the world sees and then bring in the person who actually does all the work. So uh, a bit like my wife. So yeah. That, that's actually a really cool concept. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Yeah. I, dude, I, I think that's an awesome concept because dude, be, behind, it's true. Behind every successful initiative or mission or company, there's people and there's people that get no light about, about the victory of, of the win. Like, <clears throat> you know, I get a lot of credit because I'm the face of these things. And I'm like, people are like, oh, and I'm like, bro, you have no idea. Like I'm surrounded by all these fucking people who are amazing at what they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's no. like, all I have to do is show up and fucking open my mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Like it's uh, I love that. Dude. Yeah. Well, you're only as good as your support. Team. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't be here telling my story if it wasn't, wasn't for my wife. And so it's an opportunity for, and I think it doesn't, anyone can relate to it. You know, like in the military, when the guys go away, the wives have to stay with the kids. Yeah. Know, law enforcement, when they go out each bro, day. Bro, I love on the, that concept. Yeah. That's something nobody's doing. Yeah, no, yeah. That's going to so be we, big. It's going to be big, yeah. yeah. So we've, um, we were just uh, doing our first first recordings now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get that out. But I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, yeah. You know, people think, oh, that person's doing amazing. But as you've touched on, it's the team, you surround yourself with a good team. And actually, you can be successful if you have the right team around you. You don't actually have to know anything. Yeah. And you know what also is crazy? And in, in none of those people ever care about the credit the best teams nobody cares about the credit mm. no one cares man no, no one cares yeah yeah that's like one of the special forces is humility yeah it's, it's all about humility and uh so so yeah so i'm looking forward to to, to that podcast uh, uh, yeah that's gonna and, be and cool, get out dude. and we'll, we'll get yourself and yeah, emily yeah. on yeah for sure yeah, that'd be, be cool good. man yeah yeah that's a real i mean when you said that i'm like well fuck dude that's kind of my life yeah you know what i mean so like immediately that's what i thought of so yeah well I mean, when well, i go into meetings and people we understand our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. My wife can't cycle 14 miles, you know, but I can't raise $1.3 million. So we know right. our strengths and our weaknesses and we, and we, we sort of work yeah. on that. So when I go into meetings, I'm like, well, you've only met 50% of the team. And yeah, uh, yeah. that's so cool, bro. She used to be the, the good cop, bad cop because people would fall in love with me. I, you know, I'd, I'd 
I chat to them and then she'd just swoop yeah. in with a contract. Oh, bro. <laughs> like, That's, there you go. That is totally the fucking dynamic. Is it? Is it? He knows. So you and him, How many right? times right. you got the fire from Emily, bro? Yeah. Uh, I only get the fire from Emily. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 People think it's me, bro. It ain't me. No, no. Hmm. Oh, man, that's funny. All you fuckers know in here, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude, that's cool, man. Um, before we end the show, because first of all, uh, thanks for coming out here, man. Um, you guys are in California now, and you're, you were talking before the show that you're looking at maybe not staying in California, maybe looking at some, you know, some places with some land, be able to do some of the things that you that's enjoy it, yeah. doing. Where, what's, the, what's the list? Possibilities. Uh, the list. Uh, what's, the sh- gonna... what's the short list? Yeah. What's the short list? We got, got the short list. Missouri, really? Yeah. Tennessee, bro. You, listen, Tennessee and Missouri are very similar. I told you, both places. Yeah. The only thing is, Tennessee's cool right now. Missouri's still not cool, so nobody's coming here, which but, is great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. Yeah, and we own. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> don't move here. Yeah, <laughs> we no, love... we'll take Dean. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. We love Yellowstone, so Montana's right on that yeah, list as well. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, a few of my friends are pulling me towards Texas. Yeah. So now Those we've been here for two years. It, you know, Orange County is great when we landed, but I don't know if you've been Orange County. It's like a, it's almost like a, a false bubble. Yeah. A false security yeah. bubble. Everything's landscape looks like Disneyland on steroids. And so for me, I just want to sort of bring my kids back to back to reality uh yeah. you know taking back to the wildlife and yeah. things like that so whether we lots of people are doing that now dude yeah, it's really cool to. to see like i see a lot of a lot of people who you know who have never been introduced to like any kind of outdoor skill or any sort of like nature at all like taking interest in it so that their kids can learn it yeah we like, that's well, cool man one of the one of the charities back in uk that we were raising money for we went to one of their schools in london it was a school where the kids had all been kicked out of school and none of the schools wanted them so we went there and there was no air conditioning it was hot summer's day and i i went and did a presentation about what i was doing and then afterwards this young lad came up to me uh, ahmed and he said what are you doing for us i said i'm cycling he said no no but what are you doing for us and I actually thought about it. I thought, these kids will never have a bike. So this story doesn't even relate to them. Um, so I rang my friend who was the regimental sergeant major from a military training camp about 30 minutes down the road. And we hosted them for a day, had them out on the boats, had them out. In the, and I remember one of the young kids come up to me. He said, oh, what, what's this? And it was, it was an acorn. I said, oh, it's a conker. And he'd never seen a conker before. And that for me was like, wow. You know, how people, especially in these, these cities, haven't yeah. experienced uh, yeah. nature. But no, back to it with our kids, you know, you know my, my, my children, I, I try to, they're, they're born into a, a digital world. You know, they know no different. Mm-hmm. And so you can't really shout at them when they've got the iPad and things like that. But if you can spend time, so we're taking them to Mexico in, this, in the summer and we're going to build some houses down there. That's just, awesome. Yeah, man. just sort of sort of ground them a bit yeah um but not rub their noses in it just let right. them know that it's not all yeah all, all uh, rainbows and unicorns um like orange county yeah and, and when uh, you're doing good you have an obligation to do good for others exactly yeah, yeah. and it's all about giving back so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll probably do that so as long as we can do that and then escape somewhere with them so yeah we're looking at a few of the states yeah that's cool that'd be cool for missouri bro yeah no yeah in missouri good. yeah like Move i said i i now get sponsored by some of the leopold's scopes yeah. and staccato yeah, but i can't use guys. them yeah but i can't yeah. use them in uh in, in orange, in orange county. county i told him i hear you shoot yeah. off the back porch bro yeah yeah <laughs> it's good yeah you can well brother i really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that man um i'd like to have you on again and talk some more of course yeah I'd yeah love to. we'll yeah. definitely make that happen next time you're out here at 1p uh, look and forward uh to it. we'll figure that out but uh anything like 
that you would say, you know, you're a big mental health advocate. You know, you, you've raised a lot of money for that cause. You know, as we close the show down, what would you say to someone out there who's struggling right now with their mental health and, and they're struggling to find their identity and they're, you know, they're struggling with yeah. the things that we identified that, that contribute to these problems? What, what, would you, what would you have to say to them? Well, there's three ways of dealing with mental health where I learn. One is the farmer, which I avoid completely. I'm not a fan of the farmer. That should be the last resort. You know, communication is always a key one. If, if no one knows there's a problem, then, you know. But for me, what I was trying to promote with this bike ride, you know, when I, I got introduced to the Royal Foundation, so worked with Prince Harry and, and William and, and Kate, it was their campaign. And when I got sat down in the, in the Royal Foundation, they said, what's the message you're trying to promote with this challenge? I, had, I didn't really have a message. I, was, I came in because my ginger friend told me to come in. But then actually when I sat about it and I looked internally, I said, well, physical activity helps your mental state. And then I got told, this, I got challenged in 2016. They said, oh, no, you can't use that. I said, well, why not? They said, because it's not being scientifically proven. I said, well, that's fine, but I don't need a scientist to tell me that I feel good when I'm training. So I ignored them anyway. Now years later is recognized as one of the coping mechanisms. So to, to, two answers really is, is talk to someone and, and, and get active. Yeah. Dude, you know, I, I say, I've said this recently on a show, but I want to note it again since we're on the topic. You know, something that's tremendously, tremendously improved my life for my mental health is doing cold plunges. Um, I just, it has nothing to do with our conversation other that we're on the topic and I want to talk about it just for a second. But if you guys are struggling, dude, and you're having trouble, just understand that there is actual science behind putting cold immersion therapy on your vagus nerve, which increases the hormones that make you feel alive and make you feel happy and like a normal human being. And um, I'm going to do a whole episode, uh, a, a video on YouTube about my protocol for mental health with the cold because, dude, it has fucking transformed me in like a short amount of time, like 30 days. So um, if you guys are out there struggling with that, you know, think about starting to implement that in your morning routine as the first thing you do. And you got to get in the water all the way up to your chin. Okay. And you got to do two to six to eight minutes somewhere in there you work up. Um, but I can't speak enough good about it, about how much it's done for me, dude. Completely fucking changed me as a human being. Like I didn't even realize how bad I was. I had no idea. And I had gone the farmer route. I went the farmer route for 11 years, bro. And it fucked me up real bad. And um, I just want to put that out there because no one talks about it. No doctors talk about it because they can't sell you fucking cold water, okay? If you're not cold plunging and you're suffering mentally right now, figure out a way to fucking do it the right way. Spend the fucking money. It'll be the best money you ever spent and get your fucking ass in there every single day, dude. It'll change your life. So I just want to leave people with that. It's something that's cost-effective, works very well, and I promise you, you'll, you'll, if you do it consistently, it will change everything for you. So, uh, bro... Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having yeah. me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank it was you, really man. cool. So, guys, that's the show. Where, where can people follow you at? Where are you doing most of your content and social, and how can they, how can they support you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, you know, I'm teaching an old dog new tricks with, uh, with social media. It yeah. was a taboo when I was in the special board. So, yeah, D Dean Stott on, uh, on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. And then uh, my website's www w.deanstock.com. Cool. Guys, make sure you support this man. He's a good man, uh, doing really good things in the world. And uh, there's a lot to learn from him. So brother, thank you so much. Thank you again. All right. That's, that's the show. Uh, make sure you pay the fee. Yeah. Went from sleeping 
on the floor. Now my jewelry box froze. Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove. Counted millions in the cold. Bad bitch, booted swole. Got her on bankroll. Can't fold, that's a no. Headshot, case closed.